Romans 13, 8-14 Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, if you read the Old Testament, they were very aware that the world was broken. The rich and the powerful got away with injustice. Human beings tragically walked into self-destruction. Death came suddenly to those who were healthy. And even those who tried to follow God and do what was right didn't always seem to flourish. So they began to look forward to a day. They called it the day of the Lord. And on the day of the Lord, God would come and God would make all things God would destroy injustice. God would take down the prideful and the wicked and God would vindicate the righteous. God would destroy the separation between himself and people. And the people would finally walk with God without sin and perfect harmony with one another. Isaiah talks about war falling away and the swords being turned into plowshares and all people will come to God's holy mountain and be united with God and with one another. The kingdom of God would come fully to earth and God would usher in this era by sending his Messiah king, a descendant of David who would sit on the throne forever. And they spoke of the, this, this world as this age, right? They talk about it, say this age, this age, which is broken, which has corruption. And then the age to come when all things would be made right. And the day, and the day that God would come to make all things right is known as the day of the Lord. So Marie, you can put that up. This is kind of how they thought about things, right? There's creation, the fall, this age, and then the day of the Lord and the age to come for the kingdom of God. Got it? That's kind of this Old Testament conception of time. And depending on whether you which prophet you read, sometimes the day of the Lord is talked about as this wonderful thing, right? God's going to come and make all things new. But sometimes it's also talked about as kind of this terrible, scary thing, right? Because evil will be destroyed. And frankly, we're all a little bit evil. So it's going to hurt in some ways when God comes to make all things new. So there's a sense that always comes with it. of Like, you better get yourself right. Get yourself right before the day of the Lord. Because otherwise, uh, you know, it's, it's going to hurt a little bit when God comes to strip away the evil. And either way, there's this longing for the day of the Lord when God will come to make all things new. And when Christ comes, he begins his ministry by saying this, the time has come 
The kingdom of God has come here. Repent and believe the good news. And so throughout his life, people began to wonder, right, is Jesus this Messiah king, the God that the Old Testament has talked about, the one who's going to usher in the day of the Lord, the one who's going to bring the kingdom of God. And right up until his death, the disciples were expecting him to take up the sword, right? They were expecting him to lead an army, cleanse Israel, to destroy the enemies of Israel and cleanse the land and vindicate the righteous. But instead, Jesus does something new. He takes the cross. And instead of defeating sinners and destroying folks like me, Jesus takes sin and death upon himself. And in the resurrection, sin and death are defeated. You know, you might look around, look out the window and say, hey, I'm so sure sin and death have been defeated. They seem pretty alive and well to me. And on some level, you'd be right. Which is what brings us to Romans 13. What Paul teaches is this. You remember that top slide is, well, that there's creation and fall. And then there's this age and there's the age to come. And when Christ comes, he essentially inaugurates the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God draws near. And yet, this age is not fully uh, done away with. And so at least this funny place in between that we sometimes call in theology terms the already not yet, but in between. And what Paul says is that this age will actually continue on until the return of Christ. And it's only with the return of Christ that sin and death will finally be fully done away with. They've been given a mortal blow, and yet they still remain. And so what? What Paul says is that by the Holy Spirit, sin and death no longer have mastery over us, that we can be reconciled fully to God, that we can actually live in the age to come, in heaven, so to speak, in the kingdom of God. And we can be reconciled to God and to our neighbor and to ourselves. But we still live in this weird overlap time where sin and death are still doing their best to breed injustice and hatred and self-destruction. And so this is kind of the funny place we live in, right? Paul says that we, you know, we live in this world that is fraught with destruction, but our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to the age to come. We still live in a world that is in corruption, but we no longer belong to that world. And this overlap will continue until Christ returns. And at that point, sin and death go into the lake of fire and humanity is free to live with God forever. For you all who were around in the fall when we did Revelation, John has this beautiful vision of what it's going to look like when Christ returns. He says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything so this is the vision, right? This is where we're headed. This is where we're going. This is the age to come. 
But until Christ returns, we live in this in-between where we can kind of see and taste and touch this thing. And by the Holy Spirit, we can actually begin to live into it. And yet this age remains. Does that make sense? And so Paul says this, you know, what are we supposed to do with ourselves? And, and this time, this is where it gets us from. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is near now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put upon the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So, in other words, what Paul is saying is live into the next thing, live into the daytime, live into the day of the Lord when this thing comes. Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the other armor of light and clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So all that stuff we read about in Revelation of all things being made new, on some level, we live in that now, even while this corrupt world is still here. We are people who belong to the age to come, even while this age still remains. And so we look at our lives, right? And we say, if I belong to Christ and to the age to come, what needs to be left behind? When the day of the Lord comes, what will be burned away within me? What is it I'm holding on to that belongs to this age? Rather than waiting for Christ to return, how can I let God come and do that now? How can I open my hands and let the Holy Spirit come and cleanse me and make me new so that I can actually live in the age to come already? And I believe if we do this, right, this is the promise that by the Holy Spirit, sin and death can actually be washed away from us. We can actually be made new in the kingdom of God. And you know who we become? We become people of great love, powerful love, of life-changing love, people who belong to the age to come. Amen? And this isn't just an individual calling, but a calling for us as a church. In the age to come, there's no poverty. In the age to come, there's no strife. In the age to come, things like race and class and gender no, long, no longer put us at odds with one another. And so what we're forming here in the church is supposed to actually be a, like a little pocket of heaven, a little pocket of the age to come. Do we know that? That that's what the church is supposed to be? Take some work for sure to take out the deeds of darkness, right? And put on the armor of light. But in the same way, if we're willing to open our hands and let God come, love the Holy Spirit work in us, this is the promise that we can actually be a piece of that, a little taste of heaven. And if we do this, you know who will become people of great love, a powerful love life-changing love. We become a community that belongs to the age to come. Amen? When we talk about the church not just having good news, but being good news, this is what we're talking about. 
And while we do this internally, we also take this great love out. We sow reconciliation where there's strife, and we feed the hungry, and we bandage up the brokenhearted, and we care for our lonely neighbor. We give a le the leper a place to call home. And when we do these things, when we go out in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of work to do these things, we take little pieces of the kingdom of God that help with us, little tastes of heaven. You might hate the idea of evangelism or bringing the gospel up, but if we go do this stuff, right? If we go out and do Jesus stuff, go do heaven stuff, man, that's good news, right? That is joyful. There is life there, and we will see the kingdom of God there again. There will be love. And I keep saying that word love, right? Because that's actually what Paul says. He says, and do this understanding the present time. You might say, and do what understanding the present time? But this was the first half of our passage. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others is fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Whatever other commandment may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to the neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so that's what we become. When we talk about being people who live in the age to come, we become love. We become Christ. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool, right? So this is a really good news passage. So it means we can taste and touch heaven now. Paul says that, like, it's nearer now than when we first believed, right? This isn't a timeline thing that he's talking about, of like, it's the, the, the timeline's getting closer. He's actually talking about this. It's the kingdom of God is drawing near. It's like the person who gets up right before dawn and sees all the signs. You know, you know that feeling when you get up before the sun comes up, but you can kind of see it, and you know it's coming? You know, the sky kind of turns that funny, kind of like grayish, bluish, and you go, yeah, it's just a matter of time because I can see it. That's what Paul's talking about. That's the imagery he's using. And when we open ourselves up to be renewed by Christ, that's what happens. We're in that dawn moment where you go, oh yeah, there it is. It's right there. The kingdom of God will come. And so this is really good news and it's also a high calling because that's, this is the high calling that comes with it. The people should be able to look to us both individually and collectively and say, what's the age to come going to be like? It's going to be like them. That's probably not what our church experience has been a lot of the time, but that's our calling. And that's what we're called to do. To live into the age to come. To be a sign, a symbol, a foretaste of the age that is to come, where we know God and walk in harmony with one another, where there's no poverty, where there's no racial divisions, where there's no strife or gossip or be a people that walk in great This does take some work. Paul uses this language, right? To put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And the language Paul uses is in duo, it's to clothe yourself and to take off your clothes. It's a reminder, it's this daily task. Wake up every day and say, how am I walking in what belongs to the darkness? And how can I live into the age to come? How can I let God come and make me completely new? 
again, this isn't just a matter of willpower, right? And that's kind of what Paul's getting at with the commitment. It's not a matter of saying like, oh man, I just need to swear less or maybe drink less or be less gossipy or whatever. It's actually instead is get this vision, get this vision for the kingdom of God and then see what doesn't belong to that. And let God take it away. Like sanctification is kind of a bummer. It's just like sin management, right? Like how can I sin a little bit less? That's not the image that Paul gives us. He says, you're going to this train. You have this amazing destiny. Let God do it in you now. Leave behind the things that don't belong to it. And if we do that, if we allow God to do that work, we can become as Christ. We can walk in radical, transformative love. We can live in the kingdom. Now, the imagery in this passage is that of battle, and it's a reminder that sin and death don't go down without a fight. And when we push against injustice, it will punch back. And when we try and leave our sin behind, it will whisper at us and kind of grab at us and say, no, I like it better. This is where you belong. So I don't want us to overlook that. And yet one of the reminders in this passage, too, is that the armor of light is actually very different than the weapons of this world. When we go to do battle with injustice, we don't put on rage or hatred or force or even power. We put on prayer and undeserved forgiveness and radical generosity and faith and surrender to God. We put on love. We put on Christ. Against these things, the devil cannot stand. Amen? When we do these things, sin and death die, and the kingdom of God comes. So that's our calling. Live in radical love, not just because it's the best way to live, but because we belong to the age to come. We belong to the age where the lost are found, the lonely are befriended, and all that is broken passes away. So put off the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light, and go be heaven people. Amen.